0: Check, check. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Doing awesome? Give me one moment. Can you just high five two people next to you? Say, God is good. Stall tactic. High five five people. All right. Let's open up in prayer. Jesus You are so good. Father, we are so thankful for all that you've done, all that you give, all that you continue to give, and Holy Spirit, we just pray that we would be in alignment with what you're doing in this place, God, that I would be in alignment with what you're doing in this place, and Lord, you've already begun to move in this room, God, and it's, um, Lord, it's already tangible, Jesus, so I pray, Father, that we would just, God, we would follow the path, Lord, that you've carved for us this morning, Lord, we love you. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. This is a beautiful morning, just this incredible baby baptismals, I mean, or baby dedications that we're doing, and it's this idea of family, and it's an incredible, I don't know if you guys felt it, but i have been over there in the corner, and it's just, just all the impact in this room, you know, and uh, reading through my notes, we'll see how far I get or not, but it, was, I mean, it just feels like there's something different, there's something different that God wants to do in this place this morning. Um. And I'm really excited for it. I'm really excited to see what God's gonna do this morning. You guys ready? You guys excited? Amen. Well, we've been talking about Holy Spirit for uh, the past two weeks. Pastor Ron's been giving us these incredible teachings, very powerful. Get out the house. Everybody tell the person next to you, get out the house. It's this, just this, 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 uh, this call to more, this call to deeper, this call to passion, this call that essentially erupted the early church in this, in this, this fashion that, I mean, it's because of this gift, it's because of this falling, it's because of this movement of God that we sit in this room this morning. And, and, and I think of this story and, uh, this isn't even going to be on my notes. We'll see, we'll see if I even get to my notes. I think of this story about, you guys know Peter, correct? Raise your hand if you know who Peter was. Peter was infamous throughout scripture and he gets a bad rap, but Essentially, he he's always like putting his foot in his mouth. Is what we call Peter. That's what we say about him. He's always saying these things before he understands what he's talking about. And sometimes he gets it right, and sometimes he gets it wrong. And uh, I think of this moment in um, after G- or when Jesus is about to be when Jesus is being arrested. He's about to be arrested, and Jesus looks at Peter and he says uh, he says Simon, I tell you. That you're going to betray me. You're going to betray me. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And Simon, he says, he, say, he tells Jesus, he says, Jesus, Lord, not, not me, not me. There's no way that I would ever do that to you. Maybe these others, you know, maybe your other disciples, maybe John, you know, John, John's a little like mama's boy kind of type guy. So he's like, maybe John's going to betray you or something like, and, and Jesus says, no, no, it's, it's going to be you. And sure enough, you know, Peter denies Jesus and he goes through this moment of grief and heartbreak and 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 he denies Jesus three times the third time he's calling down curses upon himself because he's so just in denial of knowing who Christ is at that point point. and it's so similar to some of us where we can we can step into these dark moments these dark times these dark seasons and it seems like there's no hope there's no way out there's nowhere to go there's no there's it's just there's there's it's just hopeless it's darkness. You know, and and you you could you could imagine Peter in this state, in this moment, and just feeling like I just I just betrayed the person who I've loved and dedicated my life to for the past three years, and he just threw it all out. You know, and some of us can relate with that. You know, maybe, maybe and I don't mean to get. I do mean to get so personal because I believe Holy Spirit wants to be personal in this room about it. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's something that you had invested so much time and love and dedication and then at the end of it all, it just seems like it comes unraveled. You know, and we ask ourselves like, what did I do? Why did I do that? How could I have made those types of mistakes? And we can relate to those. We can connect to those moments of darkness and hopelessness where we feel like all I am is a failure. You know, and you see Peter in this moment of being a failure. And Jesus resurrects from the dead. Amen? He does. He, he gets up on, on the third day. We talked about this a couple weeks ago for Easter. We celebrate this once a year. And essentially... Jesus comes back, and I don't want to stay on this, this idea too long, but he comes back, and later in the Gospel of John, the last chapter of John, Jesus comes to Peter, and Peter's fishing, and Jesus comes out to the shore, and, and Peter sees him. He sees Jesus on the shore, and, and it says that Peter jumps out of the boat, and he swims to Jesus, and the other guys, there are on the boat still, and they just kind of row to Jesus. So it was kind of an absolutely pointless moment to get wet, but he was just so excited He just throws himself out of this boat and pursues Jesus there. And he encounters Jesus and, um, man, I wasn't even going to teach on this, but there's this, Jesus is there on the shore and he's cooking up fish. For his disciples. Like he's made breakfast for his disciples. My, one of my students, Isaac Pino, gave this awesome sermon on this idea, this, this, this teaching. Yeah, it was awesome. And in his words, he's like, after everything that Peter did, after everything that Peter had, had done against Jesus, there Jesus is cooking him breakfast. The goodness of God. You know, and in our failure, in our shortcomings, when we feel like there's, there's, there's no hope, Jesus is there on the shore cooking us breakfast breakfast. Talk about love. I mean, talk about, talk about love. Talk about commitment. Talk about just this unfailing grace and passion for his people. And Peter comes to him and Jesus tells him, Peter, now remember, Peter denied him three times. And Jesus asked this question. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I do. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. And immediately after, Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you, you know I do. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. And then one more time, Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, do you really love me? And at this point, Peter loses his, Lord, don't do this. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my lambs, take care of my people. And I want you to catch this because for every failure, for every mistake, Jesus is there on the shore with breakfast, no less. And he's there saying, you know what? I'm gonna bring you a moment of redemption. I'm gonna bring you moments of hope. And for every failure, I'm gonna give you this opportunity where you can say, even though I failed my savior, even though I failed my family, even though I failed myself, there is always hope. There is always hope. And so Jesus covers every single one of Peter's denials in the word love. Because love covers a multitude of sins. And so even in this room, and as we're dedicating these, these, uh, these babies, and you hear these stories and all this heartache and, and beauty that comes out of it, but it's, you see God saying, even though, even though it was difficult, even though it was hard, I am here to tell you there's hope. There's redemption. And this church, I believe, is entering a season of hope and redemption where we're able to look at our past and our failures and the difficulties and say, you know what? Though it was dark in the beginning, Jesus rose from the dead. And just like that, God is willing to breathe resurrection life into every aspect of who we are. Every aspect of who we are. Yeah, let's, let's just applaud for God because this is who he is. This is what he does. This is the goodness of what he has for us. Now, I want to show you just a few things. As I was studying this week, um, I, I want to show us a few things. So I want you to like, like really just look at the person next to you and say, hey, really pay attention. Just, like, just tell them, really pay attention. Like, I know you were faking it before, so now really do it. (laughs) I want to show you a few things through Scripture. I have so much Scripture that I want us to just compare this morning. And so, if you would keep up, you don't need to necessarily turn there in your Bible, because we're going to be going from Genesis to John, Genesis to John, Genesis to John. I have them all up on the screen. You guys can write down the references if you guys want. Um, But I'm just going to blast through this. You guys ready for this? I want you to see the beauty of who God is through His Word. The beauty of who he is, how detailed, how exact, how just incredibly, um, man, just beautifully artistic he is in the way that he organizes things. And then we're going to apply that to ourselves. Genesis 1.1, everybody say the beginning. One more time, say the beginning. It says, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We've been talking about Holy Spirit. This is the first reference in scripture to the Holy Spirit. The spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. (coughs) Now we're going to go to John. John chapter one. It says this, in the beginning... Everybody say the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He's speaking about Jesus. He says all things were made through him. Jesus being the Word, God spoke creation into existence. You see this parallel going on, and the way that John writes his gospel is in this comparison to Genesis. If you just read throughout Genesis and John, you're going to see so many similarities. I just want to bring a few of those out this morning. It says again, all things were made through him and without him uh, was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness has not overcome it. And this is a testimony from the very beginning of the gospel of John. He's telling us, look, there is hope. There's always light in the end. And it doesn't matter how dark something started out, whether it was creation and darkness was over the face of the entire planet. Even then, God was able to speak light into that moment. And in the same way, Jesus is able to step into history and he's able to say, no matter how heavy this situation is, I bring light. And darkness will never overcome light. Amen? Now, here's where we're going to get into some cool stuff, and I just needed to establish so you guys could see the parallel between those two uh, books, and then we're going to get into some more stuff in, in John, John chapter 20. So, this is the resurrection. Now, remember, in Genesis, the first day started with light overcoming darkness, correct? Now, let's look at John. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. While it was still dark on the first day of the week, just like in the Genesis creation story, when darkness was over the face of the earth, Jesus, while it was still dark, the tomb, the stone was rolled away from the tomb and light overcame everything. Light overcame everything. And this is the story that we are all living now today. You heard testimony after testimony this morning of families, of people that are going through these moments where they found God, they have found Jesus, they found Holy Spirit, and he is walking them through these moments now where light overcomes darkness. And there are many of you in this room that are still, you're still fighting these battles. You're still going through these difficult situations. You're raising grandkids and that is so hard. And we can't even begin to imagine how difficult each other's lives are in this place. But the beautiful news is that the the stone, man, was rolled away even while it was still dark. And light will always overcome. Look at somebody and tell them light overcomes. Point B, the garden. Everybody say the garden. Genesis 2.8 says this, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man who he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil we know that story. I mean, if we've we've been in church, even if we haven't, we understand. We've heard these things before. Now look at John 19, verse 41. It says this, Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So in Genesis, we have, in the midst of the garden, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge in good and evil. In John, we have in the midst of garden a cross, a new tree of life, a new fruit to take of. Jesus steps in and becomes the new access to life. The new access to life, the the the, the utmost form of the tree of life, and he himself is the fruit upon that tree he himself is the fruit upon that tree in John six fifty two, Jesus is uh he says some pretty radical things I don't know if you guys know this but Jesus said some pretty crazy things this is one of the one of the top ones it says then the Jews dis- then the Jews then disputed amongst themselves saying how can this man give us his flesh to eat so Jesus said to them truly truly I say to you unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in you Okay, if you guys hadn't been raised in in a Christian kind of worldview, and I come, I came up here on a Sunday morning and I said, "Hey, you need to eat the blood, or you need to drink the blood and eat the flesh of Jesus." Most people would be like, "Dude, I'm out of here. That, what are you talking about?" That I did not sign. That's not what I'm into. Like I don't know if you know this, but I'm not a cannibal. Like I'm not about eating human beings. And it's an interesting statement that Jesus makes because. After he says this, the the masses of the crowd turn away from him because it's too hard. They say this teaching is too hard for us. How can any man understand this? But he's pointing to this tree, this cross, the new tree of life. And he is saying, I myself am the flesh and the blood. I am the new fruit upon this tree. And just like in Genesis, when they took of the tree of life, they, they had this sense of just being with God in, in, this, in this utmost form of just being with God. And Jesus is now that access for us. And so just like in Genesis, we're left with a choice. You're left with this brand new choice. God redefines the choice, the options that we have. He pays the price. He brings us fullness of life. And then he says, now what will you do with the tree in the midst of the garden? What will you do with Jesus? What do you do with him? What do you do with the fruit upon that tree? Do you take of that or do you choose the knowledge of good and evil, which is essentially your own way? It means I now determine what is good and what is bad. I am now my own God, I distinguish between right and wrong. But in this story, it's it's God saying, no, no, take of Christ, take of Jesus, of who he is, and he will bring you life. He will bring you hope. And then we have this word, everybody say the breath. Genesis 2-7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And this is where we get into some Holy Spirit stuff. John 20, 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord and Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. You see the beautiful comparison, of what's going on in the scriptures, and how it's just unfolding. And to, to, to further this, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5:45, says, Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, but the last Adam, speaking about Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. And so we have this major transition. This major transition in history where it's no longer about God just breathing life into people. It's now God giving people this call, this invitation to be life givers. Not just life given. Adam was life given. Jesus is a life giver. And he just said in John 20, As my Father sent me, so I send you. And so the practical question is this in in this room, in our own hearts, is am I breathing life? Into those around me? Am I breathing life into my relationships, into my marriage, into my job, into the way I raise my kids, into my church? Do I breathe life? And it's just this beautiful opportunity to step into movement with what God is doing. And now this one was one of my, my favorites. Everybody say a side of ribs. Who likes ribs in this place? Yeah, ribs are so good, man. I want to go get me some ribs after this, I think. A side of ribs. Genesis 2:18. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up in its place with flesh, or closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So we have the creation of Eve out of the side of Adam. Okay, this is cool. I hope you think this is cool because I thought this was cool. Everybody look at the person next to you and say, this is going to be really cool. This is going to be like really, really cool. John twenty twenty seven says, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What are we witnessing here? We're witnessing the birth, the creation of belief within Thomas. Thomas was the last disciple to believe. So what just happened here was the bride of Christ was just formed. As Thomas touches the side of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ is born. Belief is born. Who is Eve? Eve was Adam's wife, her, his helper, his, his co-laborer, his partner to handle the garden that God had trusted them with. So what does that make the church? We know this. We are the bride of Christ, which means what? We are co-laborers. We're in partnership with God. We are his beautiful helper, And just as Adam and Eve were trusted to tend to that garden, Jesus has invited every single one of us into this new place, into this birth of belief, into the bride of Christ, to go alongside him and expand the kingdom of God around us. You see, to me, it's so beautiful. It's so incredible to see how To the T, God is with His Word. And that from the beginning to the gospel, the story remains. You see, God's will, God's purpose remains. It didn't change. Satan didn't screw it up. In your life, God's purpose and plan remains. Satan has not screwed it up. He has not ruined you, you are not ruined. Because he is still a God that redeems. He is still a God that receives his own back to him and rebirths beautiful things out of what was once broken. You know, we have this word um, redemption. This word redemption, I think a lot of times, in my experience, people have thought about the word redemption at least I had, in this idea of almost like refurbishment. You know what like refurbishment is? It's like you take something that was once broken and you kind of make it as good as it can possibly be after it's been broken. I think a lot of us might have this idea that what Jesus does is he comes in and kind of puts broken pieces back together and then makes me like somewhat of a good person for the world. That's not the idea of the word redemption. That's not the idea of the word salvation. Paul says the idea, the truth behind salvation is you are now a new creation. It's like everything that was broken, God was like, you know what? We don't even need this stuff. I'm not here to just try to fix you. I'm going to make you better than you ever were before. I'm going to make you better than you ever could have been. So everything that Satan ever tried to use, anything the world ever did to you, anything you've ever done to yourself, God steps in and says, I am not going to let that define you anymore. That is done. You are a new creation. A new creation. Look at the person next to you. Say, hey, I'm new. Tell the person you're not refurbished. You are new. You're new. That is good news to me. That is beautiful stuff. Now, we have peace and purpose. Everybody say peace and purpose as I close in this. Genesis 1.31 says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Everybody say very good. Very good. Very good means it's better than good. I don't know if you know that. Like the original Greek, that's what it actually translates to, like better than good. Very good john 20 19 here's where this comes in jesus came and stood among them and said to them peace be with you peace this word peace in the greek is this idea of completeness it's this idea of fullness it's this idea of lacking nothing it's this idea of something being better than good And so in the same way that God ended his creation on the sixth day, he looks at things and he says, it is very good. Jesus arises, new creation, redefines everything. And he looks at his disciples the moment he walks in before they ever say a word, before they've even had an opportunity to choose to believe in him. He steps through that door and he says, it is very good. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Completeness, fullness, wholeness. Again, not this refurbished kind of somewhat rickety thing put back together. No, full, complete. Look at the person next to you and say, hey, you don't complete me. I know that's really sad because you have a spouse, if you have a spouse. But you need to say it. This needs to be a revelation in our hearts. Look at your spouse and tell them, I'm sorry, you don't complete me. This is the truth. I'm sorry. I don't mean to cause fights in your marriages. We need to know this though, because it's not that that completes us. We. It's not like. I mean, it's not like before I met Cece, I was like half of a Benji, you know. What completes me is him, and what completes you is him. As he enters in, he says, "You are whole." Yeah, let's lift up a praise. He says. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. You know, in the church, um, a lot of times they would end with, uh, I mean, you see it in Paul's letters a lot at the end. He would end with what's called a benediction. And in that, he would end with something like, hey, peace, like, peace be with you. And it's something that the churches did a lot. And it's fun. And, I mean, in like our church, we're, we're like super casual and I love it. Um, but next time somebody says, peace be with you, I want you to think about what they're actually telling you. Peace be with you. Wholeness, completeness, fullness, newness. Jesus was speaking and releasing a new reality over his disciples. Again, new creation. Now, I'll close with this: Genesis one twenty eight. God blessed them, and God said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, of the, bird, the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth." John 20 says this, As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And Matthew 28 says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm with you always to the end of the age. So, Jesus speaks peace and then Jesus speaks new purpose. Adam and Eve's purpose was to tend the garden, take care of it, take dominion, subdue. And in the same likewise manner, Jesus comes in, he says, Look, I did the hard part. I took dominion. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And what does he leave us with? Be fruitful and multiply. Now go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in my name and teaching them everything that I've ever taught you. He did the hard part. He did the part that Adam and Eve couldn't do. Adam and Eve couldn't take dominion. They were taken, they were overcome by their temptation. They were overcome by the enemy. Jesus steps and he says, you know what? It's okay. I will do this part for you. I've taken dominion for you. Now you get the fun part. And I'm not talking about making babies. For Adam and Eve, it was making babies. (laughs) I'm talking about making disciples. In a way, spiritual children. That's what we're called to, make spiritual children expand throughout this planet and bring what Jesus prays in Matthew. He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what are we called to? What's our new call? What's our purpose? Jesus spoke peace. It's very good. And then he speaks purpose. He says, now expand heaven upon earth. Bring them in bring them in. And this morning's testimonies are just testimonies of that happening all over this place with love and forgiveness and this covering over one another. And even in mistakes and failures, we're able to say, you know what? Me too. I've tripped too. I've messed up too. And I'm not going to hold that against anybody in this church because we are a family and we love each other and we're going to bring one another through this stuff. Amen? We're going to bring one another through this stuff and through that we are going to experience and expand what God is doing. So what is Holy Spirit? Who is He? He's the life of Christ within every single one of us. At the moment of belief He's. he's, and this is a part of Him. There's three aspects of Him that we see in Scripture. In, among, and upon. This is the in part of Holy Spirit. Within us and within us he produces much life as we love one another, as we hope all things, as we believe in all things, as we, we, we trust in all things, as we are patient with one another. And what I experienced this morning, just sitting in the corner of a room, listening to all these families telling their stories, was a piece of heaven on earth, was a piece of people being able to say, you know what, it was hard, but God is still good. And you church family have helped me so much. That's what God's doing in this place this morning. And I pray you feel it. I pray you're invited into. I pray I mean I know you're invited into. I pray you become aware of it. Now, he left them in a garden. Jesus resurrects in a garden. So the question that I want to leave you with this morning is this. What are the gardens that God's trusted you with? What's the garden that God has trusted you with? Your family, your home, your children, your job. Some of us are looking for something better. The grass is greener on the other side, and we've all heard it said, no, the grass is greener where you water it. And where you take care of what's yours, that's where the grass is greener. God has trusted every single person in this room with something incredibly sacred to Him. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with the gardens in your life? What are you doing with your wife, with your husband? What are you doing again with your children, with your in laws? With your family, your parents, your uncles, your aunts, your job. You know, some of us are waiting for promotions and, God, I need a better job. God, I need a better job. And I don't like what I'm doing right now. Well, the question isn't so much whether he's going to bring you a blessing. I believe he will. The question is this. Are you listening to what his word says and are you doing everything as unto him? Everything. Nothing is invaluable. It's all sacred now. It doesn't matter if it doesn't matter what job you have. If you're the top of a company or the bottom of a company, are you doing it as unto the Lord? Are you taking care of the gardens He's put into your hands? And Jesus says this to those who are able to be faithful with little, they'll be able to be faithful with much, and much will be given to them. Now, I had a lot more, but I want to. I want to close. With this, if I could just ask you all to stand. And if you would just close your eyes. And again, we've been talking about Holy Spirit. And I'm just, again, I'm just covering a little section of it within. So I want everybody just, just to yourself, I want you to say the word within. One more time, within. The word spirit in Hebrew is the word ruah. It means breath. The word spirit in the Greek is the word pneuma. It means breath. So I'm going to invite you this morning. If you know Jesus, I want you to close your eyes and just take a deep breath. And breathe out. And one more time, take a deep breath. And breathe out. And just like you became aware of your breath, we've been invited to become aware of his presence around us always. And you can breathe him in. And you can breathe everything else out. So as you take care of these gardens, as you you nurture what God's given to you, remind yourself, take the moment, take the time to become aware of the Holy Spirit with you always. And breathe them in. And breathe everything else out. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for this morning, Jesus. Just the opportunity to be here with one another, God, again in, in your presence, Lord. And Lord, it's so incredible and beautiful to see what it is that you're doing in the lives of all of us around this room. Lord, I just speak your light God, your love over all the dark seasons in this room. Lord, and we trust that no matter how dark it may be getting, no matter how dark it seems, that the sunrise will always come. The light will always overcome darkness. So Lord, we offer ourselves to you. Lord, and we trust in all your ways. Spirit, lead us, guide us. May we be aware of you. May we listen as you impress things upon us. Lord, we love you. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen.